Welcome to the Forsyth Mags podcast, a show that celebrates all that is good and happening in Winston-Salem and Forsyth County. I'm your host, Brooke Eagle. Let's dive in. guys, it's Brooke Eagle, and we're here with another episode of the Forsyth Mags podcast. And today I have Michelle Spees with Family Services, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about Family Services. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Brooke. How are you? <laughs> Good. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So yeah, just tell us a little bit about you and what you specifically do at Family Services, and then we'll kind of dive into what, what Family Services does as a whole. Okay. Well, I, I am the, my formal title is Chief Development and Public Relations Officer. Um, that's just a fancy word for um, the fundraiser, the person that wordsmiths everything, um, the communicator. <laughs> um, it's a pretty common job in the nonprofit sector, and I've been there eight years, and I absolutely love it. But um, I am one of those folks that is just old enough. I mean, you can get a Ph.D. in philanthropy today. But when I started, um, you know, I had a bachelor's degree in history and got into the nonprofit sector because, like most young people, I wanted to do something to make a difference Mm -hmm. and just fell into fundraising and communications. Um, But it's all I've ever done. The only for-profit job I've ever had was Chick-fil-A in high school at Haynes Mall. Hey, my shirt says Chick-fil-A diet. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Love (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Believe it or not, this is how old I am. So sometimes I say I'm the oldest rat in the barn. There was only one Chick-fil-A in Winston-Salem when I worked there. Okay, that just goes to show you. God, that's that's funny. Now there's, what, several. Probably at least sure. 20, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. Oh, my gosh, that's very cool. Well, I think being having that fundraising attitude, that is a, a talent that you, you're either born with or you're not. I'm always envious yeah. of people that are that are good at that. Quite a talent. <laughs> well, I love people. I, I think there's so many, um, you know, I grew up in this community. I've spent my entire life here. I was educated in the public schools here. Mm-hmm. I'm raising my children here. And I just think it's a wonderful place to live. And I think there are a lot of organizations working for the greater good of Winston-Salem, Forsyth County. So it's easy. If you yeah. care, it's easy if to you're talk passionate about. about it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit. I think some people know, but I don't think people have any idea how much how many different services Family Services offers? You know, it's interesting that you asked that question because most people eight years ago, I was the first person hired in my role at the agency, and I'll tell you why. Most people 10 years ago, if you, well, even as recently as as five or six years ago, if you ask them, they knew what Family Services was. They knew it was an organization in town. It had a very high um, name recognition factor, but people weren't exactly sure what we did. A lot of people thought we were part of the Department of Social Services. Mm. Um, we were part of Senior Services, you know, an, another organization yep. in town, um, that we were part of the Department of Social Services. Um, there was a lot of confusion. And to be quite honest, um, we, weren't, um, we weren't that agency that was out in the community, out in the philanthropic space, asking for charitable donations because Mm -hmm. a lot of the support that we received at that particular moment in time um, came or come still to this day comes from the United Way Community Fund um, and then state and federal resources. Mm, So, But as funding priorities began to shift, we realized we needed to to be out there telling our story. Um, And so we began to do that. 
and it's made a tremendous difference in the number of people that not only know about us from a services needing services standpoint, but also from the standpoint of um, making charitable. Yeah, gifts well, because both are equally as important. You gotta have one to have the other. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. I tell the story that um, Wells Fargo was having a Christmas party one year, and they had hired um, a a wonderful band of elderly gentlemen who played wonderful instruments to come be their entertainment and they were supposed to go to senior services this is a true story and they showed up at family services on broad street oh my gosh donors usually donors actually would get us confused and write checks to them for us and write checks to us for them oh no this was a real this was a real issue so um, we've spent a lot of time i think thoughtful time really trying to kind of take a few steps back the last five six years and explain our brand Mm -hmm. and what it is and what we do and the, the community response has just been overwhelming. And I know I still haven't directly answered your question. What is that brand? <laughs> I was going to say, tell us what exactly. that brand is. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start with the beginning because I think it's just fascinating because I love history. I love this community. So before Winston and Salem merged, there was a woman by the name of Annie Grogan. And my grandmother actually did this for Bell South. You are way too young to remember this. But the, <laughs> when people used to call each other, they would plug in and out the telephone lines, and you could hear every word of both sides of the conversation. I mean, I think about, like, HIPAA today and privacy laws oh and gosh, what people yeah. heard. Oof. There's no way that would happen today. <laughs> but um, so this was around the turn of the century. Um, she was 26 years old, and she could hear people in Winston. Winston and Salem had not merged yet, talking about um, – their challenges. Uh, a lot of people didn't have heating oil. Um, people didn't have a job. It was cold. Um, no food on the table, things of that nature. So she would take literally a few pennies from her paycheck and either go buy what they needed, take it to their house, and leave it on their front porch, or she would go give them the money. Wow. Well, her coworkers found out about it. And it, she. we like to say she was the first community organizer in Winston-Salem because yeah. that's literally what she did. So very long story short, um, she left the phone company. She never married. She never had children. And she dedicated her life to helping the poor of Winston-Salem. Oh, wow. Um, We were called upon. We were called upon um, in those early days, kind of the 1905 to 1920 time frame. Um, We were the first charity in Winston-Salem. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, We were called Associated Charities. And this, this part that I'm getting ready to tell you is still part of our DNA today. She couldn't do this alone, right? So the first people that found out about it were her coworkers who gave mm-hmm. her support. Then there were churches. Then there was local government. And so we were asked to do things in that particular moment in time that you wouldn't even fathom today, like run tuberculosis clinics. And we ran the first prenatal clinic for Forsyth County. Oh, wow. And we were the largest foster care facility in the state at one time. I mean, just things that just wouldn't even add up today. But my point is... Those were the needs of the community at that particular moment in time. Mm. And so what we are in our DNA, you can default back to the definition of social work because we are social workers at heart. Mm -hmm. And there's two facets to that. And the first one is meet people in crisis where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, think about um, Second Harvest. Think about crisis control. Think about senior services. People in their day-to-day crisis needs, whether it's medication, they need their rent paid. They need food on the table. That's where they are. Mm-hmm. So in our particular case, in today's modern world, if you will, the world, the Winston-Salem you and I grew up in, we meet people in crisis where they are, particularly around family violence. And I'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that. 
and also um, around preparing children, um, children who haven't had the best start in life for, for kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So Annie Grogan, she started this, this, this movement. And so part of, um, and she was a social worker before the field was even defined. Oh, wow. Um, so part of it is meeting people in crisis where they are. And then the second part is, but taking a step back um, in the literal definition and saying, well, how, why do we have so many hungry children? Yeah. Why do we have so many the people that can't? Absolutely. Yeah. Why do we have so many people that can't pay their rent? Why do we have so many people who can't get transportation to work or to their medical appointments? And to really step back and kind of take a look at that holistically. And I think that's what sets us apart is a lot of agencies don't have that duality. They're mm -hmm. one or the other. Yeah. Um, and so that's been an interesting dynamic for us the last um, 20, 30 years. But one of our presidents and CEOs, Sarah Austin, she's, she's deceased now. Um, she came up through the ranks of the agency um, through our adoption program. A lot of oh. people don't know, you know, we did adoption. I still yeah. do. And she, for example, at the state level, is really credited with some of the most, some of um, credited as being responsible for a lot of the very progressive adoption law we have in North Carolina now. Hmm. So she was kind of that advocate at the state level, but you didn't hear about that. You just heard there were infants being placed or international home studies being done. So we kind of really have stepped into that space around family violence mm -hmm. and uh, providing access to high quality pre-K for all children in Forsyth County. That's awesome. Yeah, I have, I, my degree is in elementary education. Um, obviously I'm not a teacher, but the, the pre-K initiative, that's, yeah, that's near and dear to my heart. I think that you are there, you're setting these kids up for failure if they don't have a little bit of pre-kindergarten experience. Oh, absolutely. You can't just throw them into kindergarten. <laughs> well, here's, in, in some cases. here's the thing. Harvard University came out with a study, gosh, six, seven years ago, and I remember Bob Feikema, the president and CEO, my boss, sent me an electronic link to it. And I remember reading it going, this is communications gold. But he, you know, to be honest, he was a little on the fence whether or not we used it or not because it was, as soon as I tell you, 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 you one, you're go, you will have heard this statistic before, and two, you realize how daunting it is. Yeah. So Harvard looked at... Um, and it's the one thing I say family services could absolutely take credit for the last five years because <laughs> we were the one to take this study and make it a conversation, a community mm -hmm. conversation. Um, but I, we were actually, to be quite honest, a little afraid to do that at first because how were people going to react when they heard how low Forsyth County ranked on some national rankings? So basically the study looked at um, 3,885 counties in the United States. And if you're born into poverty, it was, a, it was an income mobility study, what are the odds that when you are an adult, you're not in poverty anymore, basically? And the first time the study came out, it's been revised since then. Forsyth County was the third lowest ranking county in the entire study. Out of 3,885 The second time it was revised, which is the most re recent version, we, we moved from third to fifth place. But the four other counties who are, I would say, um, have more challenges than we do, are all Native American Indian, are all counties that are based around Native American Indian reservations. So you can see there's a lot of political, social, um, ethnic undertones in that. And so we weren't sure, do we really want to use this to mobilize people? Because it's so overwhelming to yeah. even think about. But when yeah. you back up a second and you think about, um, and I credit Clyde Fitzgerald at Second Harvest with this, he preached for years and was really the first person to talk about 
the statistics around children in Forsyth County and mm-hmm. the food desert. And I can remember in those early years, people looked at him with, you know, their eyes glazed over too. They could not wrap their brains around that. Yeah. Um, and so you igno- people ignore it. Absolutely. They just ignore it. Which is sad, but true. <laughs> but then we start releasing, we start talking about in smaller groups and then bigger groups and then bigger groups, this Harvard study. Mm-hmm. Then you start seeing articles on the front page of the paper that six of the ten, I think it was three or four at the time, of the lowest performing elementary schools in the state are located in our county. Then you find out that Wake Health has the highest traffic Medicaid facility in the state of North Carolina. Then you find out that there was a national study on eviction rates, and we rank 16th, worse than Detroit. And you start looking at these systemic poverty boxes, I'll say, markers. Mm -hmm. And it all suddenly starts to make a lot of sense. We have a lot of hurting people, and we have a lot of people in need. We have a polarization of two different communities. And what that means to us at Family Services is it's an opportunity gap issue. So if we have children, because this is literally what the Harvard study looked at, who are born in a certain zip code, and based on that zip code, their fate is determined for them. The American dream doesn't exist for for thousands of children in our community anymore. It's just gone from the moment they take their first breath, and that is just inherently wrong. It's anti-American. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our country was founded and predicated on if you work hard, you get a good education, you can be successful. Now, successful is a loaded word depending on how you define it, Mm -hmm. but you should have a chance. Yep. I would agree with you. So basically we went around and, you know, because we run the Head Start and the Early Head Start to get down into the weeds and some of the programs we do, like the day-to-day services. So we work with, there are 499 children um, that we work with daily in Head Start. Head Start started, was started by President Lyndon Johnson um, in the 60s as um, an anti-poverty initiative, part of the war on poverty. It's not a daycare program. It's not a babysitting program. It's not it was literally started as a two-generation anti-poverty approach. Mm-hmm. So that's what I tell people about Head Start first because some people have this kind of notion, oh, it's just daycare for poor people. That's not what it is at all. Yeah. Because the the parents that are engaged and have their children enrolled in that, that program, they have their own set of expectations. Like they have a family advocate assigned to them, and that family advocate um, can do home visits, but they meet with that parent regularly, and they check in with them about their own goal setting. Mm-hmm. Some parents want to go back to school. Some want a better car for more reliable transportation. Some want more stable housing. Some want to ask for a raise at work. Some want to um, get a certification and a skill set. So that year that we have that child, there is a, a, a case manager, if you will, walking alongside that parent. Mm. Um, then we also manage the Early Head Start program. And Early Head Start is basically birth to age three, 36 months. Okay. But what we, we're also federally mandated within that, that population that we serve. So it's 121 Early Head Start and 499 Head Start. At least 10% of that population has to be an identified special needs. What the school system calls... Um, they're coming. They're going to come into the school system with an individual education plan. As mm-hmm. someone who majored in education, you know what that is. So they might be, they might have Aspergers. They might have a speech delay. They might have a gross motor or a small motor delay. They might be vision impaired. Um, but those children move up to the top of the list for services for uh, us. Okay. Because a lot of low-income families can't afford intervention services at all, and so we're kind of that bridge. Um, and so the pediatricians recommend them to us. 
social workers, those families for enrollment. Um, but it is it is a fabulous program. Clearly, Family Services does not own all the real estate to operate a program of this magnitude. So sure. we have sites on the public schools, at the public schools. Um, we work with private child care providers, faith care providers of um, child care. Um, and what we found is that if you're trying to eradicate, if you're really trying to um, look at systemic poverty, how your children are prepared at inner school is one of those major markers that moves the needle. For example, one on the polar opposite spectrum is maternal health. You know, how do we care for women when they're pregnant? Mm -hmm. um, that's another a, a tremendous marker. But yeah. the one that we have expertise in and that we felt like we could lead kind of a community conversation around is the school preparedness because of how many of our elementary schools are so low performing and also to just how many of our children, um, the Harvard study, are growing up in a zip code just by sheer nature of where they were born. You know, they've got multiple um, challenges in, in front of them just because of where they live. Yeah. Wow. That's it's, I love that Family Services does – you guys manage to do so much. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so many different programs. I mean, and then we didn't get into yet, but the um, but domestic violence, oh, yeah. I know, is a big – a big passion of family services. Um, I was at a fundraiser a few months ago right, that you yeah. guys did. And I, be, I think I'm not mistaken, but wasn't $63,000 was raised yeah. to match the... Absolutely. Tell, yeah, tell us about that. So the battered women's, uh, it's called many things, family violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, battered women, uh, men are victims too. I'm going to, I'm just going to use women by default because they make up the majority of victims, but that does not preclude or mean that men are not victims sure, either. Sure. Um, that's a great example of kind of Annie Grogan's legacy. In the early 80s, there were a group of volunteers who um, the battered women's movement nationally was gathering steam. And they went to city leaders and wanted to be, um, they were operating a house, um, a house over off of Main Street, just kind of grassroots and it was at the point it needed to be more in, uh, institutionalized not in the sense of um, like a hospital but it needed structure it needed legality it needed mm. paid staff um, there was so much need they couldn't meet it yeah um, they needed more integration and coordination with with law enforcement with the courts so what happens um, the city comes to family services and says um, will, will, will you run the battered women's shelter and of course we said yes <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there at the time. I don't know exactly why they said yes, but they did. So officially in 1985, we opened the very first shelter for female victims of domestic violence in the state of North Carolina in oh, Forsyth wow. County. Um, it still exists today. Um, it's not a published location. We can house about 26 women and children there. It depends on the mix of women and children, mm -hmm. what that total headcount can be. It is full all the time. People often ask me, well, what do you do when it's full? Well, we can refer to other counties. We can refer mm. to other shelters. We, we can put women up in hotels. We don't like to do that. Yeah. Um, but we find a way. Yeah. Um, but we, we see, um, we also, as part of the services we provide within Forsyth County to victims of family violence, we coordinate the services at Safe on 7, um, which is in the Behavioral Health Center. And that is where a victim can go to file either a 50B, or 50C. Those are protective orders. Mm, okay. Um, I like to tell people that um, the moment a, a woman files a domestic violence protective order, it becomes the most dangerous time in her life. Mm. Um, anecdotally, the, the eight years I've been at Family Services, any of the domestic violence homicides that have happened in Forsyth County, um, I think all but one of those women had a restraining order in place. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, it's not a shield. 
So what we do at Safe on 7 is we make sure there's a safety plan in place. We make sure you have an emergency contact, a secret code. Mm. You know, um, do you have do you have a telephone? Do you have a do you have access? Do you know where your social security card is? Do you do you have access to money? You know, so before you leave, um, who has custody of your children? Who who is who, whose name is are, is the house or the car in if you own property together? Really help the the help her think through what she's about to do. Yeah. Um, because once she leaves, it, it is the most dangerous time of her life. Um, and so the shelter is a place where women can go if they literally have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, most most victims want to be placed or want to go either with someone they know, mm-hmm. a family member, a church member. Um, so the women at our shelter, this is this is the only place they have. Yeah. Well, it's so nice that they that there is a place mm-hmm. for for them to go, um, and that you guys help assist with that. A lot of folks don't know, too, as part of those services within um, family violence, we run both crisis lines for the county, the sexual Mm -hmm. assault crisis line, which is 24-7, and also the domestic violence hotline, which is 24-7. And the shelter's open 365 days a year, um, 24 hours a day. Um, We also, um, because of the nature of what we are within behavioral health, have a real specialty um, or a focus, I should say, in trauma-focused trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a big, long, fancy word. Particularly working with children as young as mm, three. Yeah. Um, because often a ch- what we know about children, same thing we know about working in the early childhood education space within Head Start and early Head Start, children are very resilient. They're very strong, but they have to have the right services at the right time. And the the brain is so malleable, it can heal, it can reverse. It can, children who have been through horrific Maybe they've witnessed a crime. Maybe they're homeless. Things that would really traumatize a young child um, with, with the appropriate therapy and right modality, they can heal and thrive. Wow. And so we've really developed kind of, you know, a focus, a sub-niche, if you will, um, in, in that. Uh, as a matter of fact, oh, gosh, Brooke, I hate talking about this one. I'm going to be honest. Um, a lot of people don't know that we run the Children's Advocacy Center for Forsyth County. Did you know that? No. Do you I- know what it is? I don't. Okay. I'm embarrassed. So uh, <laughs> my colleagues at work will make fun of me for using this comparison, but um, but it's 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 not like what you see on Law and Order as, as Special <laughs> Victims Unit. Sort of, kind of, but not really. So if there's an allegation of abuse or neglect mm-hmm. with a child, um, we are the agency that has the staff and the facilities and the program to conduct that forensic interview. Ah. So we interview our forensic interviewers, um, and so typically those cases come to us through either the uh, through the Department of Social Services, mm-hmm. Child Well or Protective Services, the the District Attorney's Office, law enforcement, and and the hospital systems. Okay. And so when the case when that interview comes to us, they're looking to see if there is a um, a crime that has been committed that needs to be prosecuted ah, against okay. a young victim. Most of them are sexual in nature. Um, we do over 200 interviews a year. Wow. So anytime you pick up, and that's why I said I don't like talking about this one. This is not the fun one. This is not what any community wants in their backyard. Yeah. But it's just what it is. I was going to um, say, yeah, I mean, it is. That's Yeah. Oh, wow. So if you pick up your paper, if you hear on the, t- the news at night that, you know, so-and-so has been sentenced to 25 years in life for the rape of a minor, chances are we, we had our, our hands in that case. Mm-hmm from the interview standpoint. Does it ever get, for you working with family services, does it get overwhelming the amount of 
of services that you offer and just the amount of, or not the amount, but the how huge mm-hmm. of that it is, how many problems we have. and It is, but you know what? We work with about 10,000 people a year, and I tell folks, when Jeffrey Canada, we brought Jeffrey Canada here a couple years ago for the Raising Every Child event. I think you might have heard him speak. Yes. I know your mom did. Um, one of the th- And he started Harlem Children's Zone in New York, and one of the things that he said, which really gave me the space and the permission to be able to start saying myself, is folks, not everybody wants to change their life. Not everybody wants to, no, not everyone wants to be helped because it's hard work. Yeah. It is hard yeah, work coming no out doubt. of poverty, you know, to turn your life around to decide I want to get out of an unhealthy relationship or I want to not be able to not make men's, in, I know it's two double negatives, not make ends not meet every month. And that is a hard decision to make. Yeah. So the folks that commit to working with folks at our agency, and this is the part that gives me the inspiration and the hope, they are fighting literally for their future. And they are the most tenacious people. And you look at them and you see what they have encountered or what they're, and they're just, they're full of joy. Yeah. You heard Jamie speak. Oh my gosh. At Truvi at the Rise event. I mean, her. Yes. You know. The whole room was in tears. Absolutely. Here is someone who, for all intents and purposes, should be dead. Mm -hmm. Um, Her husband of 13, I think it was 13 years, um, tried to strangle her and, she has taken that experience and used it to empower herself. Does she still have nightmares? I'm sure. Um, but the folks that when you talk to them and you hear their stories, it gives you hope mm-hmm. for tomorrow. It gives you hope for our community. It gives you hope for the future. Um, and the other thing, the other lesson I've really learned is you don't know what you don't know. It's really easy That's for a us good one. <laughs> to take kind of our middle-class educated eyeballs you know, our eyes, lips, and ears, and, and, and think of, well, gosh, why didn't they know they needed to brush their t- child's teeth? They just had 20 baby teeth removed. You know, why did they? And, and we've literally had parents tell us, we've never been to the dentist. We didn't know a child needed to go to the dentist. Mm-hmm. We didn't, you know, and you're sitting here thinking, okay, so you take a step back and you realize no one modeled that for them. Yeah. So And why you sh- meet them where they're at, just absolutely, like you said. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we've had parents call us, and not know how to use a thermometer yeah, or don't own a thermometer. And so one of our uh, family advocates took it upon themselves to make sure that every family that comes into our program gets a thermometer if they want it. I mean, it's little things that you wouldn't even think about Yeah, oh my that we just take for granted. Well, I want to end this on you telling us how you can go about helping, um, whether it's volunteering, monetary donations, how can people help family services um, because obviously it takes it takes a lot of that oh, to, yeah. to make it make it happen. Well, I'm going to speak on behalf of every charitable nonprofit organization in Forsyth County. The best <laughs> thing you can do is write a check. Yeah. You know, we we get gifts. We have a we have a pastor and his wife who tithe ten dollars a month to us. We have some people that give us ten thousand dollars a year. It doesn't matter. You know, whatever you're able to contribute. You know, pick a cause that's important to you. Mm-hmm. Pick an issue that's important to you and. You know, you don't have to be a gazillionaire to be a philanthropist. Um, write a check. Um, I like to say first, do no harm. You know, uh, go to their website, call them, and ask them what they need. Um, you know, for example, one of the things that the shelter really appreciates are gift cards. Mm. You know, to Walmart, to Target, to gas stations. Not cash, you know, not clothes, not food. Things that they can go shopping to get when they're ready to transition to transitional housing. Mm-hmm. Um, cash is king. Every organization wants that. 
um, advocacy, educate yourself about an issue, talk about an issue, mm-hmm. call the organization, not just family services, but anyone you're passionate about and say, hey, can you come speak to my group? Can you come on this podcast? Can you, you know, come come share with us some information? Yeah, yeah. Anything like that. Um, I would say that's how. Our website is uh, familyservicesforsythe.org. Uh, folks can visit us there, whether they're um, curious about learning more and or they um, want to uh, make a donation. Yeah, well, and we have a monthly um, column in Forsyth mm-hmm. Woman and Forsyth Family uh, that Forsyth, fam- or Forsyth, Forsyth Family Services mm-hmm. provides, and it's um, always good and informative and talking about all the different things that you guys offer. Yeah, it's a lot. It really is. We like to think, I like to think that, you know, between birth you know, to the grave, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, we cover that, that early part, you know, you got other organizations working on the other part, but that we're helping create a better community for all the residents of Forsyth County. Um, We only work in Forsyth County. We're local, you know, we're not part of some national affiliate. Mm -hmm. Um, We're it. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. And um, yeah, please check out their website to learn a little bit more about family services. We're done for this time. (laughs) The views and opinions stated on this podcast are solely those of the contributors and not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting companies. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without expressed written consent of Forsyth Magazines Incorporated. Ooh, that's a mouthful.